Welcome to The Experts Speak, a service of the Florida Psychiatric Society. I'm Abby Strauss, and thank you for listening. When we speak of suicide, we usually think of it as associated with a biological depression. Initially, that makes sense, but it's not always true. Suicide can also be the product of an untenable situation about which the person sees no resolution. This is especially so in many teenagers, and what I've recently learned, this is even more so in LGBTQ teens and preteens. Donald Kavanaugh is a consultant on anti-gay bullying and coordinator of youth and family services at the Compass Gay and Lesbian Community Center of Palm Beach County. Mr. Kavanaugh, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. Because it's a good source of information, let's give out the website. It's Compass G-L-C-C, one word, C-O-M-P-A-S-S-G-L-C-C dot com. Okay. All teenagers go through developmental issues, which can include a lot of emotional fragility. But the group you work with are those kids who are also confronting gender identity issues, and their suicide rate is frightfully high. Let's, however, begin with the definition of the initials. What does LGBT stand for, and why do we sometimes see a Q added to the initials? LGBT stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. Originally, it was GLBT, but for some reason, people decided to switch it and put the ladies first. The Q is used frequently by people who work with youth because youth are frequently questioning their sexual orientation and gender identity as they reach puberty, particularly. What are the statistics about this group? How large a group are we talking about in our society? Nobody has an exact number. One of the problems is that the LGBT community is, is sort of hidden. Most of us will not raise our hand and say we're gay when people come around and ask. And that's true of the youth also. There's an estimate of between 4 and 10% of any population group would be lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender themselves. And then if you look at people whose lives are affected by those lives, the number can get up very high. And those would be the family members and siblings and, and what all. But close people who would be affected if something happened to that child. So it still is a very large percentage of our society nonetheless. It's, it's much larger than we're aware of actually. One of the things that people always talk about is when does someone begin to realize or sense that there is a gender issue, an identity issue, an orientation issue? Is there an average age when kids begin to realize something is not what society might expect it to be? I'm not aware of any specific research that's been done in that arena. A lot of people think that kids realize that they're gay or lesbian as they approach puberty, but my sense is it's much earlier than that. I know in my own case, I was aware that I was different by the time I was four. I didn't have a name for it until I was seven when a classmate called me a faggot, and I asked my father what that meant. As you can imagine, it was not well received. I also believe that parents recognize that there's something different about their children who are have gender variance or sexual orientation issues at a very early age. My mother told me that she recognized there was something wrong when I was three. You use a very interesting term, the term gender variant. It's much more gentle in a lot of ways to use that term. That's really what it is. Interesting, interesting, interesting. And so when people begin to realize that their sexual orientation is not heterosexual, there may not be an absolute procedure for this, but what happens to a child? How do they begin to deal with it? How do they, if we can use the phrase, come out of the closet? Uh, I, actually, I think talking about how do we use the phrase going into the closet. The work that I've done, the research that I have d done shows that children know by the time they're three uh, what society's expectation of their gender and sexual orientation, gender behavior and sexual orientation will be based on their genitalia. 
Now, 90% of the kids apparently can conform to society's expectation that if I have a penis, I'm a male and I behave this way. If I have a vagina, I'm a female and I behave this way. But that 4 to 10% that we talked about before, sometimes it just doesn't line up for them. So they ask questions which upset parents, and parents then say, you can stay, stop talking about that. Essentially, what the parent is doing is putting the child in the closet at about age three. So even at a very early age, there might be a sense of isolation or rejection by the larger community, which is their family. Very much so. Very much so. What is a three-year-old going to do if the parent says, you talk about that stuff and I'm not going to love you? The kid stops talking at three. He, he wants the love and the nurturing. That's perhaps when a child, maybe unconsciously or without really the good cognitive skills that an older person would have, begins to feel, again, the rejection, the isolation, the separation. Right. To me, it starts at that age. You use the phrase that when the kid comes out of the closet, sometimes the parents go into the closet. I thought that was very clever. It's, it's very true also. As far as I can tell from the work that I've done, people refuse to recognize the fact that they have gay children, even though later on many of them will say, well, I really knew that he was different or she was different, but I didn't want to admit it. So when they finally are confronted with this child whom they have said, you may stay, don't talk about it, now the kid is talking about it, well, what are they going to do? They run into the issue of being embarrassed. The shame of having a gay child is still pretty big in our society. They're afraid that they may be affected at work, that they'll lose friends, that their parents, so the kids' grandparents probably won't be able to accept this. <laughs> it's, it's really quite obvious. I work with a group called PFLAG, Parents, Families, and Friends of Lesbians and Gays. It's a setting that allows parents to come together and talk about their issues and what it's like having kids come out and what it means to them. And at first, you see that the parents are shocked, but as they get used to the idea, they come to the realization that it's not such a big deal. Most of the parents start out feeling bad for themselves. Mm -hmm. The child that I raised, the expectations that I have for a wedding and six grandchildren is now shot. But the reality is, of course, that's not the case. And the, the scope, though, the scope, the numbers of this are, are what makes us have to look at it. If we look at your statistics that you quoted, 4%, 10%, let's average off as 7%, we'll go in the middle. And there's 300 and some million people in the United States, that's 21, 25, 30 million people. That's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. It's a, it's a huge number when you think about it, but they're so well hidden. And the closet that starts at age three is so effective for most of us that when we do become older and wiser, I guess, we're still unable to talk about who we are. We'll stay, but we won't talk. It's the message that we've had from our families. And part of the work then that you've done is to be a mentor, Mm -hmm. to show these kids that when they start to confront these issues, to give them, again, the word, a mentor, a guide, and how to do this, and also to help their parents as well. Right. Helping the parents is critically important. I'm interested in an observation just because you are not in your 20s, but how have you seen society change in the last 20, 30, 40 years? Uh, we had a vice president who openly said that his daughter was gay. Things have changed. It's, it's, it's been an interesting phenomenon. If you look at television shows and other popular media representation of gay people, it's come a very long way. And unfortunately, a lot of it is still stereotypical. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people aren't aware of is that we have a large dropout rate in the schools. And so as a result of that, there's a fairly large portion of that 21 to 30 million people we just 
just talked about, who are below poverty line or be, you know, they're not making what they could make if they had stayed in high school. And the reason that they dropped out is not necessarily academic, is what you're suggesting. No, it's usually fear. This feeds directly into the work in, that you've done into the notion of the incredibly high suicide rate amongst these kids. It's a constant bombardment of, of abuse, if you will. It appears that in, particularly in middle school, but in grammar school and in high school also, there's people kids select a particular scapegoat person or an individual who's going to be picked on, often these kids turn out to be gay. But on the other hand, there are a lot of kids who are accused of being gay by their classmates who really aren't. That affects them from the fact of their being harassed, but it also affects the gay kid who's being essentially like a um, terrorism. It's a form of terrorism, mm -hmm. right? If I beat up a gay person and say all fags should die, and I, there's a gay person standing near, I hit beat up a straight person thinking that he's gay, and there's a gay person around seeing this, that gay person is going to be frightened, put into the closet, right? It's a form of terrorism. And then this leads into the terms which you introduced when we were talking before. This leads to the notion of isolation and marginalization. And I, I want your thoughts on this because I really want to lead to your interventions, which we'll get to later, but this incredibly high rate of suicide that is not necessarily just because of the biological depressions. I agree. <laughs> you mentioned previously the notion of increasing isolation. Right. And if so, if a kid sees, if he feels that he's gay or he's not certain, the cue that you talked about, right. if he's not certain, he may pull away, he may marginalize himself. I guess this is a very common... Well, yeah, it starts actually, it, it starts with sexualization. Homosexuality is sexualized by our society. It's one of the reasons why people react so negatively to, to the issue of homosexuality, because they believe homosexual equates to sex, which it doesn't do. In fact, if you look at the instances of cases where kids have gone to open up gay-straight alliances in their high schools, frequently the administration will say, we don't want sex clubs on campus because they equate homosexuality with sex, mm -hmm. uh, even though they're very definitely not sex clubs. So this sexualization is the beginning of the isolation process, because when people react to you because of your who you are, as if you're some sort of a pariah, it puts you in a closet. It, it reinforces the three-year-old kid's closet. You may stay, don't talk about that. And it makes them want to be invisible? Invisible, absolutely. It, from age three, the child is hiding who he is or who she is because of that message getting from coming from the parents. Uh, the isolation goes beyond that. As the gay kid is trained to stay and not talk about it, the heterosexual siblings are trained to keep the child in his place. So that means we don't recognize that issue. We, we deal with this sibling as if that issue doesn't exist. So when the child goes into society, those messages are coming from the heterosexual population. That piece of you doesn't exist. And as long as you don't bring it up, you're okay. But if you bring it up, then we have to deal with it. And then, of course, that secretive nature that the tragic situation, what this past summer where the young man jumped off a bridge in New York City and killed himself because he was forced out of the closet, so to speak, by the YouTube. Right. You, this is not as uncommon, apparently, as the newspapers kind of made it. Well, the uncommon part and the thing that caught people's attention, in my opinion, was the Internet connection. Gay kids commit suicide with regularity and nobody counts them. One colleague of mine has said, uh, he's a, psychiatrist, a psychologist rather, has said that it's his belief that frequently parents hide suicide notes that would indicate that their child was gay. And the 
the media collude with the family not to let this information get out. So let's talk about how widespread this suicide is. You mentioned to me that it's three times the normal rate of non-gay kids. Right. Three to four times the normal rate is, is sort of the official numbers that we use. And is the suicide because of the fear, the terrorism, the embarrassment, the, those sorts of things? I mean, these kids can have regular depressions as well. Right. It's the constant harassment and the fear of being beaten up. There are kids who, who go to school and don't come home without injury, if you will. And now there's, there's research that shows that even if the abuse is verbal, it's causing physiological damage to the child's brain. Right. The stress of it all. Right. Is the suicide rate rising? Has it evened out? Is it the same across the United States? How do we measure it? All those sort of questions. <laughs> well, where do we begin? It's a big one. I it, know. it is a huge one. I've seen statistics. I've seen all kinds of different statistics. But one statistic that I saw not too long ago was that every 15 minutes, a teenager in the United States commits suicide. And that for every suicide that's successful, there are 25 failures. And there's one estimate that up to 30% of teen suicides are affected or caused by sexual orientation or gender identity issues. So if there's a sexual orientation issue, then the risk is much higher. I, it takes me back because these are the sort of things that simply taking a a child to a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist and putting them on medications. It's not a simple thing here. We're talking about a very deep lifestyle global issue that needs to be dealt with. It is. It's, it's much more than just something you can treat with the drugs, in my opinion. Interesting. There is also a statistic that there is a higher rate of pregnancy amongst this group than in the non-gay community. This seems counterintuitive. I know. <laughs> There's some theory, I haven't seen any real research done on it, but there's a theory that says that because homosexuality is so taboo in our society, it's impossible for me to pra to actually behave as a homosexual in order to determine if I like it or not. So I have to behave as a heterosexual, which is safe, to determine if I don't like it or not. And since we have this unconscious gut thinking or feeling rather than not thinking in the gut, but that gay kids don't have children and straight kids don't get AIDS. We have a bunch of kids who are getting exposed to STDs and having children. For very deep psychological reasons, which may not truly be obvious at first glance, it also raises the question about teenage promiscuity. And given the statistics that we're looking at now, this should be investigated as well. Right, right. I also see a statistic that a lot of these kids are skipping school because of feeling unsafe. That, that's a phenomenal difference. It's appalling. It really is. To the best of your knowledge, is that just all over the country or does it seem to be more, if you have data on this, it, more in rural areas as opposed to urban areas? Or we, we don't know that much information about this yet. I, I'm not aware of any research that would indicate or give us that kind of information. The, there's a, a program that the uh, CDC runs, which is the uh, Youth Risk Behavior Survey. It's conducted every other year, and any school, in, as I understand it, any school in the United States can participate. Mm -hmm. the Palm Beach County schools in Miami-Dade and Broward all participate in that. But only about six states actually include the questions that the CDC provides about lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender students. 
they ask about how many kids are self-identify as LGBT, how many of them have had sex with another, a person of the same sex within a period of time like this, so that they can get a basic understanding of who's in the audience that are asking the questions of. Most of the research that we've, I have found is from the uh, Massachusetts Youth Risk Behavior Survey, although mm -hmm. Chicago and uh, Wisconsin, I have recently found those, and the District of Columbia. I believe there's a total of about six or seven uh, school districts that uh, actually include them with some regularity. So if these kids are more prone to suicide, should they just call the regular suicide hotlines? Is, are there more of a specialized suicide services that might help them? Do they need something different than the standard traditional 1-800-HELP lines? I feel so. There's an agency, an organization called uh, the Trevor Project. It's an 800 number national call-ins for gay kids who are considering suicide. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to make this number available, even though there are local numbers that people can call, because of the gut reaction that the untrained person would perhaps exhibit of sexualizing this individual who's on the phone saying, I'm about to commit suicide, which would just add to the problem. The people in the Trevor Project are prepared to deal with these issues without judgment, without that gut response of sexuality. And, and their telephone number is? 866-4-U-TREVOR, but the numbers are 866-488-7386. And we should post that wherever gay kids can be found. Because they are much more prone. So this would be the sort of person who would listen and say being gay could be part of the problem and would not, maybe unintentionally, because I know a lot of the suicide lines, they really try. They, they're, they're, they're good. They're good stuff. But this is a subgroup. The program that, that you were associated with, the Compass Hope program, what did they do? How did they intervene? If you could give us just a minute or two on that, what do they do and how common are these types of programs? Compass has had an arrangement with the Children's Services Council of Palm Beach County since 1992 to support gay youth in the county. Historically, it was a group setting, and now we're moving into a one-on-one -on -one mentoring program. But the group setting has been largely social and advocacy and helping the kids become aware of who they are in their lives and that it's okay to be who they are and this is a safe place to come and be. And now with the mentoring program, we'll be doing one-on-one -on -one work with the individuals, which should help at least the individuals who, who have one-on-one. -on -one. They are not going to give up on the uh, group meetings, as far as I know. I don't have the details on it, but I remember reading a research project that said that one of the major things that gay kids identify as a need in their lives are safe places where they can be with others of their own kind. And Compass provides that. And when we take that step backwards and remember two statistics, this is anywhere from 21 to 30 million people in the United States, a lot of them are right. teenagers and even preteens, and that they have a three times suicide rate as the non-gay community. These are numbers that we can't walk away from. Donald Cavanaugh is the former Youth and Family Service Coordinator with a program known as Compass Hope in Florida's Palm Beach County. Obviously, he's done a lot of work with this group of kids over the course of years, and we thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me.